You're listening to Pastor Jared Ruddy of City Lights Church. We want to encourage uh, you if that if you've come to faith in Christ, if you've placed your faith in Christ, um, you're always going to be learning about Jesus. You're always going to be learning more about him. But that doesn't mean that we wait until we feel that we know every answer before we share. You know, God gives us a mind to explore, to learn and discover. However, what we see in the book of Mark chapter 5 is that Jesus sets this guy free and just says, go do it. Uh, it's amazing. You know, there, he doesn't go through Bible school. He doesn't go through some classes. He doesn't get a nice certificate on his wall. One minute, we understand from the text, the guy's naked, bloody, all right? So that's his qualifications. Naked, bloody, and filled with demons. Next minute, he's a Christian. He's saved by God's grace. And Jesus says, now go tell your story. Now, I am positive that he would have showed up. And the first thing he says, I've been set free by Jesus. And the first someone says, well, how do you know Jesus is God? All right. The guy didn't get to go, well, you know what? He said, I've got a story. My life has been transformed. I want to encourage you. One of the greatest apologetics is a life transformed by the gospel. Somebody that was blind and now seed. Someone that is broken, bloody, and naked, now clothed in their right mind. Insane. You know, not insane. Sane. All right. I want to encourage you, we want to be a church on mission, regardless of if you feel that you have every answer or not. We would love to point you in ways, and there's wonderful Christian resources that can help you understand your faith, why we believe what we believe. That's important, but I also don't want to see you wait in this um, analysis of paralysis. I think the paralysis of analysis, right? You just sit back and wait. You go, once I get this answer, then I'm going to be able to do this, right? Jesus takes ordinary people, fishermen, tax collectors, right, doctors. He takes people from all different spheres of life and says, follow me and I will make you to become. Now in the seat back in front of you, I told you there's a Bible. If you don't have one, that's our gift to you. I'd encourage you to uh, begin to read that. Mark chapter 5. We've been going through the book of Mark really verse by verse or section by section maybe is a better way to say that. And now this is the third week that we've camped out in this text. We've just have not moved, and I've honestly felt like restricted in my heart. Um, I've been holding off because the next narrative is such a great story. I know God has something for us, but I've really felt like we shouldn't rush beyond this. You know, we want to be faithful as much as we want to be able to preach through uh, each text. We want to make sure that whatever God does have for us, we, we glean from it. And I believe he has something for us today from the book of Mark, chapter 5. If you can read with me together, starting in verse 18. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he, that's Jesus, did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim Jesus, or proclaim about him, in the Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone had marveled. Now, last week we focused on the part of this text, particularly speaking about the boldness that Jesus wants to use you and send you out. This week, though, I want to focus on something uh, really unique, because I believe this is going to touch every single one of us, or has the potential to touch every single one of us in a unique place, because as we sang today, give me faith, right? Give me faith to trust what you say, that you're good, and your love is great. I believe that there is a destiny and a focus and a purpose inside of you 
that you've yet to reach. Turn to the person beside you and say, somewhere in the future, I'll look much better than I look right now. Come on. (laughs) Somebody didn't brush their teeth this morning. All right. Let's try that again. Say, somewhere in the future, I look much better than I look right now. Somebody say, I don't know if I can get any more beautiful, right? Listen, somewhere in the future, you look better than you look now. Psalm 139 tells us that when we were in our mother's womb, God formed us and shaped us, destining every day, every single day. The enemy would want nothing more than to trap you into a life of tunnel vision, of depression, that your life is here and getting worse. And this morning, I want to show you that your life is here and getting better, not by your own works, but because Christ has a plan for you. Why? Because you're still breathing. Psalm 139 says that before I was born, he formed me and he knew my days. Meaning that if I still have days, then God still has a plan. If you are breathing, he has not given up on you, and neither should you. Mark chapter 5 is the story of a demonized man. I'm going to summarize this just for those that haven't been with us, but you won't be lost even if you haven't heard the past messages. Mark chapter 5 tells us this story of a man who's so demonized, so overtaken with evil, that he's been ostracized by his pagan community. The area in which this is taking place is Decapolis. It is a pagan area. It is not under the influence of Yahweh. At this time, it is ten cities that were originally under Greek influence taken over by the Romans. This area is highly involved in pagan worship. This is not a clean area. All right? So when pagans give up on you, how many people know it's a bad day? All right? When you're at the, when you're at the bar with your friends, and they look at you and they go... Yeah, man, you're done. You're shot. That's a real bad day, all right? When you go to the people that you're saying, all right, these people accept me under every condition. When they look at you, you go, yeah, we're not a big fan. We're going to need you to go. We're going to put you in chains, all right? You just ripped your clothes off. That makes us all feel uncomfortable. (laughs) So the scripture tells us this, this man is so overcome by evil, by darkness, by demons, that he has been ostracized by a pagan community, by a community that at that time the uh, gospel, or uh, yeah, I can use the word gospel, but the message of the one true God has not been active in that area. That is a place that is not being touched at this time. This is a place that is uncharted. This man is ostracized by his community. It says that night and day, every morning, all he does is scream, cut himself, and he's afflicted. Now the scripture tells us that Jesus comes to the other side, crosses over a lake, and finds this man and sets him free. I don't, I, don't, I don't think it's, we can paint the picture. Uh, have you ever seen somebody that's crazy? All right, so we got holidays coming up. Some of us are going to be visiting family. My family's here, not you. Uh, we're going we're to be visiting family, right? I always hear that. That you, that you, that you show up, and you, I'm not talking about that, but I'm saying somebody that's literally out of their mind. Now, there are situations in life where chains do a really good job. All right, you want to, you're biking, you want to lock up your bike. You don't have to worry about that. That's a chain. When a chain doesn't work, that's something really serious. Now, this person is so insane, so beyond themselves, right, that chains, every natural cure doesn't work. This is the most impossible situation. The most impossible situation. And Jesus delivers this man 
casts out his demons. And what takes place is now that this man is in his right mind. You know, Jesus still does this today. Jesus still takes people that are insane and makes them sane. Jesus still sets people free from demons, from darkness, from all spiritual wickedness, still does this. But I want to show you four categories of thinking in this text, and I want to really focus on the last and challenge you. There's four ways that we really, four uh, overarching themes in the Bible, creation, fall, rescue, and mission. These four themes. We see them all in this text, and I'm not just trying to supplant them on you, but I want to show you these are four categories in every area of life, but I believe that we get stuck at one of them and never push to the beginning. See, this story, what we don't see at it from the beginning is that this man was not always demonized, all right? Even as much as you, you know, it's, this always cracks me up, and, I, and, and if you're a parent here this morning, this is just, this is funny, Right? So you're, you're, in, you're in line at Walmart. This always cracks me up, all right? I rarely tread that sacred ground of Walmart. I try to stay away like a plague from stores. But occasionally, I'll venture in like a brave soldier into a grocery store or something. And when I do, there's, a, the, the, there's the parent at the, at, the, um, you know, at the checkout counter, and the kid is just headbanging the magazines, right? And it's headbanging the magazines. Magazines are falling. It's opening up the snicker bars. It's got three of them in its mouth. And you look at the parent and you're like, what? And, and the first thing, they know, they feel the tension. It never does this at home. Well, first you called it an it, but, right? It, it, it never does this at home. And you sit there and you go, well, maybe you're not watching it at home, right? But the kid's doing that. But what's amazing is this. And this is just something in this but I want, I want you to see this. No kid's born demonized, although when I was little, if I would do something, right, my dad would come to my offense. My, my, he's an angel. He's just having a bad day, right? Somebody else, kid, that kid's got a demon. He's not having a bad day. He's having a bad life, right? Somebody else's kids do it. You're like, man, they are terrible kids, terrible kids. Your kid does it, man, it's just, he didn't get enough sleep, didn't have his bottle. It's just one of the things. Listen, no, no kid's born demonized. You don't come out full of that. This guy at one time was born into creation, created. He was born with a purpose, born with a destiny, born with a future, but yet we see in this text that Satan is actively involved, not only in his life, but in the world around us, and also ours, to the point where life doesn't go the way it's supposed to. There's a fall that took place. Now, we track this back to the garden in the book of Genesis and understand when Adam and Eve sinned against God, a global fall and uh, pandemic is now inflicted into the human race. So that we're not born demonized. It's not something that we're born, but neither are we born holy and righteous. Not born demonized, but we're also not born into the state of perfection. Because sooner or later, your kid is going to bite your finger. Where do you learn that from? All right, no one's listening today. I've never, I've not bit Aaron in quite a while, right? It's been about at least six, seven months, right? No, you don't bite humans. Now, how does a kid learn that? We're not born demonized. We're not born holy and righteous. We're born in this state of a fall where we have redeeming qualities and good things, but yet inside of us, there's something that goes, that looks great to bite. That's logical. You put the kids down in the kids' ministry. I'm just saying there's one ball, two kids. I've never in my days seen one go, 
can you play with this for me? Really, really want you to play with it. Would you go have... No, two, two kids, one ball. They forget about the ball, and it's about each other. Now, what I'm saying is this. We're not born righteous into this holy state of perfection, but nor are we born demonized. It's not that. But we understand that scripturally, we have been made in the image of God, that this man who becomes overtaken by demons was created in God. But yet the fall that traces back to the garden infects his life today to the point where ultimately he is overcome by demons. But here's the beautiful part of the story. Jesus rescues him. Creation fall, rescue. Jesus comes into the world for a purpose. He finds people that are broken, demonized. It drives me insane. I'm going to keep my clothes on this morning, don't worry, but it drives me crazy. That was a play on the text, in case I'm sorry. I'm just, if you're not paying attention, I am. All right, that was a little bit of humor there, just throwing that one out there for you. It drives me insane to the point of still keeping my clothes on that we look at people who don't know Christ, watch this, and we say they're so close to being a Christian. As if opposed, like, what does that mean? Does that mean like if we vote a certain way, dress a certain way, speak a certain way, manage our money a certain way, then we go, they're a good person, they're almost a Christian, as opposed to somebody who's absolutely rebellious, insane, naked, bloody, and cutting themselves... I would say that person's close to being a Christian. There is no distance other than they have yet to experience the rescue of Jesus. This person sees them and Jesus says, I'm saving you because he can choose to save any of us at any time. Creation, created in the image of God, then the fall comes. And we live in this confused state where there's both parts of life that are beautiful, but yet parts of life that are fallen. It just doesn't work. But yet the hope of Christianity is that he comes and rescues us in the middle of it. He delivers us. But this is the part I want to focus on this morning. Most of us get stuck at the rescue. When you get rescued, when you are saved, you don't camp out at the rescue. If you're drowning and somebody rescues you, you don't just sit there for the rest of your life and say, I'm rescued. I'm saved. This is great. I'd be like, buddy, get out of the pool, man. YMCA is closed. We've got to wipe the floors. But I've been rescued. We've got to wipe the floors. Come on. All right. We'll wipe around you. When you are rescued, there is a purpose with it. He doesn't just save us so we sit still. We see this take place. This man now free from demons. Says Jesus, let me get in the boat with you. And the scripture says, and Jesus did not permit him. It's amazing. I can see this man trying to step into the boat, and Jesus goes, no, 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 no. I got a different purpose for you. He says, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how He has had mercy on you. Creation, fall, rescue. This fourth part, mission. That's what I want to focus on this morning. Jesus doesn't just say, I've set you free. Now go home and live a good, happy, moral life. He doesn't say, now go home and live a safe, comfortable, go back to what you used to do, but just do it a little better. 
Salvation is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not Monopoly. I screwed up. Jesus goes, you know what? Okay, I'm going to make you better. Now go second chance. He is not the man in the clouds that we come to every time we screw up and we say, Jesus, I'm really sorry I did that. And when we say that, we feel that internal embarrassment and frustration lift off us and we go, I can sleep now. There's more than that. Jesus did not forgive us so that we can sit on the sidelines. He is calling us to go. Go. Mission. Go home. I'm not permitting you to do this. I'm calling you to go. The danger of American Christianity, and that's a bolsterous statement, is simply this, that we take for granted his rescue and not obedient to his mission. Oh, something just went through me. I don't know if I pulled a hamstring or that was the Holy Spirit. Whatever that was. The danger is that we take for granted his rescue without ever feeling the heartbeat of his mission. We see this in the text, and we preached on this two weeks ago, and I know I feel arrested in my heart to stay there. What we saw in this text is, and I'm sorry if you weren't here, I'll give a recap. When Jesus sets this man free, he casts the demons into their pigs. Now, as I said, Decapolis, this 10-city area, pigs were not just a hobby, thank God, right? You meet somebody that's got 2,000 pigs for a hobby, you want to turn the other way. 2,000 pigs was not a hobby. This was a source of income. This was a source fueling the idolatry in that area, pagan sacrifice, particularly using pigs. You see in the book of Isaiah, other places throughout the Old Testament. Pigs unclean. Jesus cast these demons out of the man. The pigs jump off the cliff, and the people are somehow frustrated, irritated, anger, whatever word you want to put in there. They care more about a pig than a person. We cannot take for granted his rescue and say, oh, I'm so thankful you've forgiven my, my sin. I can sleep better at night. That's, that's wonderful. There's more than that. There's a, a theologian that coined the term therapeutic moralistic deism. Say that with me. Therapeutic moralistic deism. One more time. Therapeutic moralistic Let's get that word. All right, no, I'm kidding. Therapeutic, moralistic deism. And this, this man attacks this at great length to show that Christianity is not therapeutic, moralistic deism. What that means, and this is what plagues us, is that we see Jesus as the man in the clouds, the man in the sky, whatever he is, the guy with fits and boots, that would be whatever imagery you have. And when something goes wrong, we go, I need to live this certain way. If I live this certain way, then he'll be happy with me. But really, he's kind of distant. He's not involved in my life. We don't see that. That's not Bible. The Bible is this, that he, Jesus, perfect, spotless, son of God, God incarnate, doesn't step in the clouds and say, try to live a better life. You will never live a good enough life to make him happy. You can't. He doesn't look at you and say, you're doing a really good job, or I'm having a bad week. You know, you don't get a sticker this week. You get a good sticker this week. There's none of that. My wife doesn't even give me those anymore, right? You don't get stickers. He doesn't say you lived, you had a good week, you had a bad week, missing it. What that does is that you pull out 
and you redefine and reinterpret the gospel on your own means rather than understanding that our Lord and Savior bled and died for a purpose bigger than us. Man, Jared, you just stepped on my toes. I know, it hurts. It's bigger. It's greater. It's beyond. Jesus doesn't say, I'm coming to make your life happier, prettier, better. He says, I'm coming to rescue because you were created for something beyond you. This world screams that to us, but yet somehow we have the wonderful ability to dampen our hearing. I'll say it like this. This week, Jesse and I were listening to a podcast, this small little clip. The pastor was saying, we're created for something beyond this world. That's why the moment you read or you hear a funny joke, you go to find somebody to tell the joke to. Nobody's satisfied hearing a joke and telling it to themselves in the mirror. Right? You hear the funny joke? It's a real good one. Yeah, was it? That's why people blast their music so loud. And if you do, that's wonderful. I'm just saying it's a sign of something beyond the world. You blast your music so loud you can't hear the music. The human ear has got a, a range of decibels that it can hear optimally in to the point where if you listen to it too loud, you get sick. But we go, we want, we're in the car by ourselves, turn it up. You got the Doppler effect working, if anyone knows what that is. It sounds like somebody's singing in another language or something, right? When you drive, it's like, because we're created. Because we want not just attention, but fellowship, something to share in. But yet the perversion perversion, the twisted, broken nature of this world has so sucked us inwardly that we can even take the gospel for granted, his rescue for granted to the point where we love being set free from our sin and our past, but we're not about to go back and find somebody else that's like that. He's got enough grace for me, but not for them. I'm not preaching down, I'm preaching at. This has to shape us. This has to transform us because God's grace is not just enough to let you in. You're not the last one. It's amazing. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done. What if we took that seriously? What if we recognize that the gospel is not primarily about us? It's not primarily about raising a good family. It's not primarily about how comfortable we are. What if it really possessed us to the point where we didn't come to church, but we went from church. Right? Go. You going to church this week? Yes, I'm coming to church so that I can go into my sphere of influence this week. The world around us shouts, 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 shouts. Broken bondage. Chains. Everything that we see in this world, and maybe, maybe I'm from outer space, but I do believe that Jesus was born of a virgin and rose from the dead, so I might as well go a little bit farther, right? Listen. <laughs> if I believe he rose from the dead, I'll be crazy for a second. Everything we see in this world is just a chain, echoing our need for a Savior. Every time we go to a doctor, as wonderful as God has given us those, it shows our need for a greater future healing. Every time we save money and we can buy something and it feels good, it shows our need for greater security. Every time we 
eat food, every time we experience drink, every time we do something like that, it shows us our need for a greater thing. This world is like that demonized man, chained. And we can control it, we can enjoy it, it feels good, but I'm telling you, on the inside of you and the outside of you, creation screaming, and I believe your conscience is too, we are created for more than what we can touch, taste, smell, see, and hear. We're created to know God and enjoy him forever. Not just you, everyone you know. Everyone you know. You know, my concern in leaving this text is that we wouldn't feel the weight of it. And uh, I don't, I mean, I'm not preaching next week. Jesse's preaching next week, but we want to be obedient to the Spirit. If he wants us to sit here and feel the weight of it, then we want to feel the weight of it. We want to feel that. Because it's not enough to be able to look at this and say, yeah, I'm set free. This feels real good. But yet we're embarrassed. Shy. I'm not talking about your personal demeanor. Everybody has got different things. And I'm also not talking about waving banners downtown. Don't worry. All right? I don't have anything underneath here. I'm not going to pull out a flag this morning. All right? Let's charge the... the that's what I'm talking about. We're embarrassed because we haven't experienced the depths of his rescue. The depths of it. The fact that we really believe how broken we are. Turn to the person beside you real quick and just say he's going to dunk us for a second. My, my older brother, the only, the only way he was allowed to dunk me in the pool was if he told me he was going to. All right? I wasn't allowed to get any surprises. I'm going to dunk you just for one second, okay? And then I'm going to pull you back up. So turn to the person and say, he's going to pull us up. He's going to dunk me just for one second, and I have trouble breathing underwater. All right, I do too. <laughs> the only reason we don't feel the weight of his rescue is we've not yet felt the weight of our sin. There's something in us that is so broken, so twisted, that we have the ability to justify our brokenness. So even some of you right now hearing my voice will say, I'm, I'm not that bad of a person. I'm not that bad. And your frame of reference is somebody probably you don't like or somebody that's worse than you. So you haven't been to prison, so I'm not that bad. I'm inherently good. Well, I, I was reading a book and it challenged me because it said this. Sin corrupts us so deeply that the jock makes fun of the person with two left feet. That the guy that has intelligence makes fun of somebody that's not smart. The person that's wealthy makes fun of the broke. We can't even handle blessing from God. We can't even handle blessing. That's how disturbed our nature is in need of rescue. So you're naturally gifted at something. And when somebody's not as good as you, you make fun of them for a gift you were given. If we were kids and your dad or your mom gave you this gift and the first thing you did was wave it in your brother or sister's face and say, look what I got, you don't have it, they would take it away. But yet God's so gracious that he lets you do that. <laughs> we, we don't even appreciate when we sing good. If somebody can't sing, we're like, no, you...
we have this scholarship we got or this degree that we have, and now nobody's worked as hard as I have. We can't even enjoy blessing. That's how much we need our Savior. Perhaps this morning, you're not, you didn't come into this room. And listen, I'm saying this again because this is not a condemning word. This is a gospel word to everyone. Maybe you came into the room this morning, and God's not trying to set you free from unrighteousness, but self-righteousness. Oh, that a church would be possessed by the gospel that would worship a great and glorious Savior. All of us under His grace, none of us beyond His mercy. What if we were all possessed by this recognition that all of us have fallen short? Not the people that look worse than us, that are in far off, bad places. We go, ah, well, they just need to get their stuff together. They're not like us. What if we would have it so possessed in us? Because the only reason we're not fueled to mission is that we have not yet been fueled by his rescue. We believe in creation. The falls all around us. The rescue's convenient. Feels real good. I'm righteous. I'm saved. I'm good. I'm in. Let me tell you this. Being a Christian makes your life better in a lot of ways. Marriage works better under God's auspices, His commands. It does. Raising a family works better. Everything works better under God's command. He's God. It just works better. It's convenient. It works. Once you find it, you taste and see that the Lord is good. But we're not just supposed to sit back and sip on the gospel over and over and over and feed ourselves and say, this is good to the point where we're ready to just blow up. If we've experienced his rescue, if I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, I want to share. It would be unloving. It would be unkind. People say, well, I don't want to impose on anybody. You need to hear me in the the greater context of a person that I am. Because if somebody comes to me at the end of the thing and be like, hey, about 18 of us are storming City Hall tonight. You want to come with Jesus shirts on? That's not me, all right? I'm I'm not going to come nor endorse that. I want you to hear me in the greater theme of what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we just go, all right, let's go take the city. That's not it. However, it is unloving. For a parent or a friend, and I know you've been in this situation, and you see a friend doing something stupid, right? Or you had to fake that you were happy when they got engaged. Isn't that a funny one? <laughs> you did it! Right! It's there. Yeah, right? Has anyone experienced that? You're like, you're getting married. You kind of say everything without saying anything. You're going to live forever together. You're going to be in one house together. You're going to share a bed. You're going to share things. You're going to have a family. And you actually never congratulate them. You just tell them what you restate the fact. Right? You're going to be together. Wow, you like are going to be husband and wife. And it's like, that's, and in case you're wondering, now that's how you do that in case you ever run into that situation, right? It would be unloving to watch a child walk out in the street this morning, right there on Main Street, or your friend walking into a situation that you know is disastrous, and you look at them and go, well, I don't really, you know, I don't want to impose. You know, I just want to let them make their own decision. Listen, let them make their own decision, but at least give them an option. Hey, there's a car coming. I don't want to impose. 
I want them to just, you know, this is the path they've chosen. This is it. God, I feel him burning in this city. I feel him burning in this city. I feel his word go and share here. Why? Because I have just caught a glimpse and it scares, literally it scares the hell out of me, no pun intended, somewhat. It scares me of what I deserve outside of Christ. And it's unloving for me to sit back and just go, it's good, you know, keep going, you're walking out, oh, there's a car. No, go home and tell your friends how much the Lord's done for you. Listen, it's not your job to save people. It's not your job, but it is your job to share. I've been around far too, you know, we sit around, we have theological discussions. Well, how much of it's God? How much of it's us? You know, I, I did that in front of the refrigerator one day, and I was really hungry. Come food, come food, come food, right? Well, listen, listen, the food's there. I can't make the food. There's a part of it that's outside of my control. There's part of this that's absolutely in God's sovereignty, 100%. I don't sit back there and say, you know what? I really want a sandwich. I'm going to pray for it. I'm going to go to my knees and just intercede today for a sandwich, and it's going to hop out and come into my mouth. I don't even need to eat. I'm just going to pray that it jumps into my mouth. Listen, there's a part of this that's beyond you, all right? You don't have control over the factories. You don't have control over the systems that got that bread into your house. However, you do have control on what you do with what God has laid in front of you. I know it's a fallen analogy, and all my Calvinists this morning are going, well, God actually, great, all right? And all my Arminians are going, what did he say? With a who, with a what? All right. Let's stand together and worship. I want to close this morning. I hope you feel the weight of your rescue this morning. Thank you, Lord. Father, as we come to a close this morning, we recognize a city. I read last night on our local newspaper, a city that is just in debt. It's in chains. And Jesus, this morning we pray for our city. Pray that you would bring wise counsel, wise leadership to the city. Can you pray with me? I'd hate to just sit back and read a news line. Can we pray for our city for a few moments? Father, we pray you'd bless the city. Lord, we thank you for the chains that you, that you have provided. But Lord, we pray for a bigger fix. Lord, we, we don't just pray for a, a bailout. Father, we pray that you would rule and reign in this city. Jesus, I pray that we would leave church uncomfortable feeling your rescue. I pray that you would leave us uncomfortable. That we would recognize that we're fully saved and fully righteous before your sight, but not for ourselves, not just that we can feast on ourselves, but Lord, to go. Tell friends, tell family to share. Father, I pray that you would reveal to us the weight of our sin, the weight of our need for you, but the depths of your grace. God, the depths of your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. If I could have the worship team come forward, we'll close in a song together. You know, the, the cross is, 
You know, we use the word, I'll say it like this, we use the word awesome for everything, right? So I think it's actually the most overused word in the English vocabulary. Everything's awesome. And we live in a world that is so overly entertained and constantly bored. I just saw a statistic recently, and I'm not going to try to recite it because I don't remember, but the thing basically was like, vast majority of people now watch TV with a mobile device in their hand. How many people do that? I do, right? You sit there and you got a phone. That's why Twitter just went onto the NASDAQ, because they believe NASDAQ, uh, Twitter can be profitable via uh, linking it with TV. They're saying it's, this is the next thing. So our generation now watches TV more than any generation ever before with a mobile device in our hand. God forbid somebody puts something in our brains. We will never sleep. We will watch TV with a mobile device in our hands and seeing sports. If you can get an ESPN chip in your brain, wow. I would be one happy, tired, crazy-looking man. But our world, right, is pulled all of these these ways to the point where you can become a YouTube sensation for almost anything, but our sense of high, our addiction to high, our tolerance level, this is scary, I want you to watch this, our tolerance level is so low that every Super Bowl show has to be bigger and better and greater or we're disappointed. All right, if you would have taken... Whatever graphics we have and shot that back to 1940, people would have had a heart attack. Right? Just right there. Just boom. But I'm I'm trying to show you something. The world's spinning faster and our tolerance for awe is shrinking to the point where something has to, you know, somebody's got a Red Bull. Like, there is a limitation to humans. Red Bull's going to find it sooner or later, Right? They're going up in a spaceship, and the guy's jumping down. Soon some guy's going to do it. Let's do it with no clothes on or something. He's going to find He's going to be his maker. But we watch it. Wow, you see what happened? Every time, a little bit, you watch the X Games, right? You know, somebody, Tony Hawk does a 900 a few years ago. Name a video game after it. We're like, well, that's amazing. Next thing you know, everyone's doing 900. You got some kid in sixth grade flipping around. The world is spinning faster, but yet we are losing our awe. To the point where we hear the greatest news ever. The news that makes God happy. And we go, I saw something on YouTube that was pretty cool. Nah, it doesn't, you know, okay, I'm a sinner. It is what it is. Because I can jump, I can dance, whatever. I can only keep your attention for so long. But the scripture says, in eternity, heaven is not like mundanely moaning, holy, holy, holy. They are enthralled meaning this perhaps the reason we're not excited and I don't just mean excited as an emotional I mean thrilled on mission is not a lack in God but perhaps a lack in our ability to taste and see of his glory